Live from the Great White North, this is the Canadian Investor, where you take control of your own portfolio and gain the confidence you need to succeed in the markets. Hosted by Braden Dennis and Simon Belanger. Welcome, everyone, to the Canadian Investor Podcast. I'm Simon Belanger, joined by Braden Dennis, where we aim to help you take control of your investments. Uh, Braden, you have a few words for our listeners. Uh, what's going on, everyone? It's Braden here, uh, recording from Toronto. What's the weather like up in uh, Ottawa right now? Because it's actually pretty warm out, although there's a ton of snow. Uh, yeah, it's actually turned this morning, so it was about uh, zero degrees this morning, and now it's about minus 12. So it actually got <laughs> colder throughout the day, which I guess is uh, just the fun of uh, living in Ottawa. Yeah, I'm a baby with that stuff. Like, Ottawa is so cold. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're bundled up correctly, I mean, it's all it's all good. And plus, I always tell people you get to enjoy uh, the summer and spring a bit more when it's really cold in the winter. That's true. All right, so Simon, tell them what we're going to do this episode because I think this is really exciting and what people want to actually hear. Yeah, so we had the idea for this episode to discuss three companies each. Uh, so the three companies are companies that we really like, but that uh, given the current market, uh, pretty much at all-time highs, um, we find them a bit overvalued. So we'll talk to you about uh, the companies themselves, uh, what we like about them, but also why we find them overvalued. And then uh, uh, we'll each other ask uh, a bit of questions on it for our, our respective picks. Yeah, perfect. I can go first if you want. Yeah, go ahead, Braden. All right. So yeah, to, so to clarify that, I love these companies, but... I think they're expensive. So I'm waiting on the sidelines. Um, if a market pullback was to happen, these would be you know companies that are on my watch list and I love but can't uh, convince myself that they are trading at a good price. Um, so that's the essence of this. So my first pick is Constellation Software. And they're in the bucket of software acquirers that have had a really good growth story here in Canada. Um, to name a few similar to this would be Open Text Corporation and Enge House Systems. These are SaaS models, which is software as a service with recurring revenue, and they continue to buy companies, integrate them in the system, boost cash flow, and rinse and repeat. So Constellation has been an unbelievable performer, um, definitely one of the best on the TSX. And the reason that I think they're overpriced is for for one, they're trading at 52 times earnings, which is you know a, a very very expensive. 63 times return on equity right now, and 27 percent return on invested capital. Uh, it's just unbelievably good. So they are boosting cash flow at an unprecedented rate. In 2014, they had 383 million, and then tr uh, trailing 12 months, almost 700 million in free cash flow. So unbelievable growth and very stable model. So uh, SaaS is pretty sticky when you're going from business to business, software as a service. It is very, it's very expensive and hard for IT departments to switch over services. Um, and additionally, once you acquire the software and you have something that um, works in that vertical as well, you can begin to tack on upsells on enterprise management software. So. 
I like Eng House and Open Text a little bit more because I think they're undervalued and also producing tons of dividend growth and cash flow growth. Um, this one's a beast, but at 52 times earnings and almost seven times sales, I'm having a hard time uh, justifying that. Yeah, that's a really good overview. Um, in terms of uh, starting in position in there, well, first of all, I think there's one little thing that people might find a bit difficult is uh, the the like one share of uh, Constellation software is is not cheap, right? Yeah, it trades for as of today thirteen sixty four. So one thousand three hundred sixty four dollars and forty seven cents is one share. Um, so, yeah. It's obviously a, probably one of the more expensive share prices on the TSX. Um, but, I mean, yeah, that's because they don't want to split it for whatever reason. S stock splits mean absolutely nothing. Uh, it's just a behavioral finance tactic. So um, it's never a way to value a stock. I always find that uh, beginner investors, they look at the price of the share and think that has any correspondence with how expensive it is. Um, so not the case, but yeah, the share price is a lot. <laughs> so what, uh, what price to earning or price to cash flow is kind of the threshold for you to like, where you start being pretty interested in starting position now? It definitely warrants a premium. Um, software is expensive, especially SaaS and the market loves it. I think it's kind of gotten that rep from venture capital. They cannot wait to throw money at these kinds of businesses. And that's kind of stemmed into the stock market. That's just my speculation on, on how that's happening. But um, I would think like anywhere around 30 times earnings, this kind of free cash flow growth would, would be, you know, fair. Yeah. Yeah, that sounds pretty good. I mean, based on what you uh, just said, and you definitely know it better than I do. Okay, yeah, so right. you, you want to go, go with one of yours? Yeah, so I'll do uh, one of mine. The first one I'll do, uh, might as well start with one that probably everyone knows. So the company is uh, Visa. So I don't think I'll need to do a lot of explaining for Visa because I'm sure uh, everyone is uh, well versed on like what they are. So obviously it's a payment processing company. Um, a lot of people might think that uh, when they have a credit card, it's with Visa. It's not. They actually get a small percentage of the transaction. Usually the card will be with the actual bank itself and then Visa um, has the uh, processing platform. So they get a very uh, small piece, but they get a small piece of a lot of transactions. And because of that, they've been really a crazy growth story. Um, if you're looking at the um, uh, just at the income statement for Visa, you can see that uh, starting 2015, they went from a bit less than 14 billion in revenue, and then 2019, you're looking at um, 22 billion in, or tw pushing 23 billion in revenue, and uh, that has considerably that has increased over uh, the years. I think I had the compound annual growth rate uh, in terms of their earnings so the uh, compound annual growth rate for visa is 13.75 percent just for the earnings for the past five years so they've increased their earnings a lot um, the balance sheet is very nice as well they've added a bit of debt in uh, the past years but they're um, they're covering interests uh, very well, so that's not an issue there. Um, for their cash flow, I mean, there's, they're literally printing money. Uh, if you look at their income statement, it's pretty crazy. Like, um, the numbers are really mind-boggling. So uh, they did uh, $12 billion in free cash flow um, for the uh, latest um, 
uh, fiscal year, and that was up. Um, that was fairly stable from the previous year, but then before that, it was um, 8.5 billion. So you can really see an increase um, in terms of dividend pays. Their yield is pretty low. It's uh, I think it was 0.66% right now. So they do pay a dividend. Uh, they are growing it uh, quickly. Um, the dividend has grown at an annual rate of 23% for the past five years, but you're starting at a small base as well. So you have to keep that in mind. And the payout ratio is very low. It's uh, just a bit below 20%. So there's a lot of things to like. One other big thing that... Uh, people that are looking at Visa, especially the statement of cash flow with them is pretty interesting. Um, if you're looking at um, the uh, cash flow using uh, financing, you'll notice there's a line of common stock repurchases. So those are share buybacks. So they've actually decreased their share count by about 10% in the past five years. And most recently, they... <laughs> They use $8.6 billion in uh, share repurchases. Um, I'm kind of a bit lukewarm on that sometimes just because uh, it's fine if it's done properly. Um, I know Warren Buffett does like the share repurchases, but uh, he does it. He does them pretty well with Berkshire. Berkshire had a way where he has a certain... Uh, price to book that he'll buy back shares. I think companies sometimes will buy back shares when they're a bit overvalued. So that's always a bit of a risk. I tend to prefer dividends a little more over that. Uh, but that's in a nutshell uh, what um, I I would be looking for in terms of Visa. Um, in terms of valuation right now, uh, they are not cheap. Uh, they're trading at a price earning of uh, close to 34 and price to cash flow close to 32. And that is above their uh, their averages in the past five and 10 years. Uh, Braden, do you have a few uh, question or a few comments for me? Yeah, I, I love this this company. This company is just, this, I can't think of a better business model to be honest. And just looking at their numbers here, 20% return on invested capital, over 40% return on equity, low payout ratio, growing the dividend at an unprecedented rate, insane margins. They touch every part of the transaction. Um, and if you go, I love to travel and I'm noticing that Visa and MasterCard are really, really performing well in uh, in these new emerging businesses, or sorry, new emerging markets. And yeah, I mean, this company just ticks every single box um, if I owned, if I managed a U.S. equity fund, I would probably just own Visa and tell everyone to go home. Um, like it's unbelievable. They've beat earnings expectations for three years in a row, and have they did fifty six cents per share in earnings in '08, and fiscal year nineteen five dollars and forty four cents. Like, <laughs> so it's a ten x in ten years. Um, I think even though at 35 times earnings, this is going to look cheap in five years. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think this is one of the businesses where I think at some point I might just be like, okay, I'll bite the bullet and just start a small position and dollar cost average in them. I mean, there are the potential risk, I guess, uh, some people might bring up cryptocurrency. I mean, I think that's still in its infancy. Um, and our, there would have to be big changes in our monetary system for Visa to not be uh, the company that it is today. But uh, it's definitely a company I have on my radar and will probably reluctantly start a position even if it's a bit uh, higher a bit overpriced in my view yeah i know I, this is this is just a great company uh i have no no criticism on this one even at 35 times earnings i think uh 
I'd be ponying up on it. Okay, perfect. So we'll do uh, your next weapon, Braden. So which one are you going for? I'm going with uh, Waste Connections, Inc. And this is obviously the large garbage acquirer. So they own tons of transfer stations and garbage collection services. And they have been a really good growth story in the U.S. Um, I think because of the safety and the growth and people thinking, you know, garbage is a very sustainable business moving forward, which I agree with. It's demanding a very high premium of 42 times earnings. Um, and it's been a very good dividend growth stock. So they're paying out 29%. The, uh, the yield is not that high, but I mean, that's because their share price has increased quite a bit. So uh, to give you some numbers here, they did 338 million in free cash flow in 2014. Um, sorry, in 2015, and then trailing 12 months, 921 uh, million, and that is that is really nice. So these are the kinds of numbers you're looking at. I think it's really expensive. I think it's really safe, um, and their earnings chart, like if you graph it out, it's just consistent. And um, here, let's look at revenue. They did uh, 1.2 billion in revenue in 2015 and then sorry 1.9 billion in 2015 and almost 5 billion in 2018 so yeah i mean that's that's really good growth it is it is an acquisition story so that's something to be to be cautious of um but if you want a dividend growth stock this is definitely one um but i think it's really expensive that's that's it for me on this one yeah, I, I definitely like the company as well. I think it's a bit expensive too. Um, one thing I noticed, I, I know we had talked about it a little bit, is uh, they do have a lot of goodwill on the balance sheet, but that's fairly typical for uh, serial acquirers. Um, so for those of you not sure what goodwill is, usually it would be the premium that you pay for a business in terms of what the, the value or the book value of the business is, so the premium you would pay uh, on top of that. So um, their goodwill is... Uh, probably about 40% of their total assets. So that is something to keep in mind, but they do have very predictable cash flow and it's a business, obviously, as population grows, I don't see uh, that it's gonna go away anytime soon. No, absolutely. I mean, garbage is, uh, you know, probably next to what is for sure in life with uh, death and taxes. So this is very, very safe. I think the, the reason that it being so safe and coming late to the cycle is demanding a premium. I bet you a lot of a lot of managers are dumping tons of cash in this. So, mm -hmm. yeah, that's it for me. Do you want to fire off your next one? Yeah, yeah. So I uh, kind of use your uh, death as a uh, segue. So we'll go to Parklawn Corporation. <laughs> so Parklawn Corporation. This one is uh, probably not a lot of people listening would know this company. So Parklawn Corporation. Uh, they essentially own funeral homes and uh, cremation. They do cremation services. Um, so I know it is a bit morbid, obviously. Um, in the uh, business of death, but if uh, there's something that's recession proof, is definitely death uh, people do die whether it's good econ economic times or not um, so it is something that I do like in terms of the business where it's uh, not not death specifically but I do like uh, in terms of the business where you, they do have uh, they'll be recession proof um, and pretty uh, predictable cash flow and because they do home funeral homes and cremation services they kind of capture both parts of the markets there and I believe I'd have to double check I'm pretty sure they also own some cemeteries 
companies. Um, so for them, it's also been a uh, growth by acquisition. Um, so if we look at their um, uh, income statement, you can really see that pretty easily. So in the past year, they've really... Um, They've really grown in terms of uh, revenue. I think in 2014, uh, they went from 23 uh, million in terms of revenue, and then they're 161 million um, in 2018. So the fiscal year that ended there, I don't have the trailing 12 months. I'm assuming it's probably a little higher than that. Um, aside from that, what I was looking at is the, the net income has kind of been up and down. Um, the main reason for that is, uh, especially the most recent year, there was a lot of non-cash items. Uh, non-cash items would usually be things that don't affect your cash flow. So yeah, either re-added in the uh, statement of cash flow. Uh, they do have a big chunk of depreciation and amortization as well. That's add in the cash flow um, and one other thing I would look at the um, for Parkland Corporation on their income statement again is that uh, you'll notice that the uh, share count has quadrupled since 2014 so they went from um, I don't have the decimal, but it has quadrupled since uh, 2014 compared to now. So basically what they've been doing is uh, uh, for those acquisitions, they've been issuing shares and uh, issuing debt. So debt has also increased, but it is reasonable levels in terms of their total assets if we look at the balance sheet. Um, so it is reasonable, the interest coverage. Uh, so in terms of the money they generate versus the interest is very, um, the interest payments that they pay is very reasonable. Um, um, and then if you look at the cash flow statement, uh, that's what I mentioned. So um, you'll see that the uh, cash flow has been a bit negative, especially free cash flow has been negative for uh, 2014 to 2016. But then we see a good increase in 2017, the positive, and even more so in 2018. So those acquisition and that kind of stable cash flow is really paying off. And the dividend cover... Um, the payout ratio for the dividend compared to the free cash flow is about 50%, which is really good. One of the drawbacks with them is that they have, I don't think they've ever increased their dividend. So it's been just stable. So it's not a dividend growth story, but it is still something that is uh, a company that I like because if there's a recession, especially it's a defensive stock, it's non-discretionary because people, you know, they'll have to get their services, whether, um, you know, it's good economic times or not. Uh, in terms of valuations, uh, if we look at uh, currently their 90 times earnings and uh, but I think that's a bit deceiving because like I just mentioned, they have some one cash items, which are uh, lowering their net income. Uh, the price to cash flow is a bit more reasonable. It's around 15 times. It's still a bit expensive, but uh, I think it is overvalued, but probably not as overvalued as it may look at first glance. Um, Brayden, do you have any comments on this? Yeah, I think this is a good growth by acquisition story. Revenue went from $23 billion to uh, 209 in uh, trailing 12 months. So that's a lot. Yeah, I'm, I'm just quite, I don't know the business that well. So I'm assuming that they're just looking for distressed assets in the funeral business, um, trying to buy them at, at nice prices and then boost it into the system. I'm just trying to figure out what synergies they have. I always, I always look for what synergies yeah. are possible when you have an acquisition story like this. Um, so yeah, and sorry, I meant 209 million, not 200, uh, not 209 billion that would be <laughs> that'd be undervalued big time <laughs> yeah no no i meant that so i'm just wondering what synergies they have um 
in in that business because because it is an acquisition story and you want to rinse and repeat to boost cash flow what synergies do they have with one funeral home to the next and i'm sure there's there's heaps but i don't know the business that well to comment on that but if you know i'm i'm curious uh, I still need to do some homework, so it's more of a at first glance for a Parlon Corporation. I definitely want to listen to a few conference calls probably the past three, four years just to get a sense of uh, what management is saying, if they're actually uh, holding their promises. I know uh, I'm kind of a nerd that way. I do like to listen to those conference calls and just kind of get a good sense of uh, if uh, management in, like, say, four years ago, they promised something and did they deliver on it and so on, because management will oftentimes promise things and not deliver on it um, one things I'll keep one thing I'll keep an eye on that uh, you just mentioned is uh, cell SGNA so cell general and administration um, so that's a good indicator especially when there's a lot of mergers uh, you want to see that SGNA number actually go down um, in terms of percentage in terms of synergy so that's usually a good indicator yeah you bring up a good point so uh, in 2015 there was 10 million in uh, SGA compared to 23 million revenue um, and trailing 12 months it's about half 200 yeah. it's, it's 119 over the 209 so I'm not seeing the synergy right now so yeah I, I this one just requires some more homework for, for me yeah, and usually when they they've done like they've pretty much doubled the revenue too, so they've probably uh, I think they've made some uh, major acquisitions. So those can take a few years. I think it's just a number to keep an eye on. Yeah, absolutely. And to be, I mismatched for like the last three years. I mixed up this stock with Parkland Fuel Corp for like forever. <laughs> <laughs> I oh, thought they were funny. the same yeah. company for so long until like maybe a year ago. Oh, okay, okay. Which which also has been a big growth story, uh, Parkland Fuel. Anyways, do you want me to kick off on the next one here? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. All right, so my next pick is the engineering giant WSP Global, and they are an engineering firm that focuses on infrastructure, environmental, and they're a services company, so... Uh, this company has been an amazing story. I bought the stock in 2019 um, of the pullback last year in 20, sorry, yeah, December of 2018, sorry. Yeah. And I'm up 50% on it. And it's 9 billion in market cap, uh, so very large. They're growing free cash flow at an insane rate. So I'll give you some numbers here. So 2015, they did 99 million in free cash flow trailing 12 months 604 million so yeah that's 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 huge growth and i really like the the company and the fact that they're in all the on all these infrastructure projects but they provide services only and i think they're trading at a massive multiple right now because a lot of fund managers are dumping cash into them as opposed to snc lavalin so snc lavalin one of their competitors Obviously, there was a big scandal here in Canada. Uh, they cut the dividend. The coal company was looking like it might fall apart, and no one wanted to touch it with a 10-foot pole. So a lot of people dumped money into Stantec and, and WSP, which are their big competitors in engineering firms. Uh, I think this company has a really, really strong position around the world, and they're in growing sectors as well, environmental engineering being one of them. Um, let me see here earnings wise 
my page is loading. Now it's frozen. Oh, okay. No, we're good. We're good. You're good? Okay. We're good. Okay, so they reported $0.98 cents a share earnings in, in fiscal year 14 and almost $3 in 2018. So the growth is there. It is a growth by acquisition story as well. They're purchasing engineering firms all over the world. They just bought a 500-person engineering firm in Europe last week. Um, and they continue to do this. So I, I think it's a great model. I think engineering is is a good place to be. I think it's expensive. Um, and that is my synopsis. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, I had I had heard of it, I'll be honest. It wasn't uh, a company I was super familiar with. Um, do you think uh, the whole SNC-Lavalin story will continue being a tailwind for them? I, I think that it's a overpriced tailwind. And that's why I'm kind of sitting on the sidelines. I think SNC is going to be fine. Um, I think it's an overpriced tailwind, but it definitely will help them uh, anytime a competitor is losing a lot of steam in a lot of ways. That's that's definitely a good thing for your business. At 31 times earnings, uh, it's pretty expensive, but they are only trading at one time sales. So uh, there is something to be said about that. The thing is, is they're not growing the dividend at all the last five years it's been steady so i think the fact that it's expensive and they're not going the dividend is why i've been staying on the sidelines to purchase more but i think this is a really solid company yeah no uh, sound, sounds good i'll definitely keep it on my radar i do like infrastructure companies and speaking of uh well, I guess uh, that's an engineering form, but speaking of infrastructure companies, I'll uh, go ahead and uh, start with my last pick. Uh, so Brookfield Infrastructure Partners. Um, so that's part of the Brookfield ma uh, uh, kind of family of companies. Uh, the main uh, company is Brookfield Asset Management. So they kind of spun off, uh, spun off Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, so BIP. Uh, they've uh, spun off as well uh, uh, Brookfield um renewable partners and uh, a few other ones I won't go into all detail but generally their philosophy is the same so they tend to have a capital allocation uh, practice of where they'll buy undervalued assets they will monetize them uh, and then when they find that they can actually sell them at a really good price and they have something better to buy at a better valuation they will sell them and then reinvest in uh, uh, type of businesses that are infrastructure related so infrastructure related for Brookfield um, I know they own railways they own uh, processing uh, for natural gas facilities um, they own I think they own some toll highways as well they I know they purchased uh, back in Brazil. They have, I think, a partnership with one of the big um, uh, REITs that uh, focus on uh, technology and data storage um, in Brazil. So they really, you know, they do not discriminate. So they have uh, infrastructure all over the world. Uh, so that's kind of an overview of their business. Uh, one of the things that I... Um, I do like for uh, for them is they have very stable cash flow. Um, so when we look at their uh, income statement, so you'll see that their uh, revenue is growing. So it went from 2014 uh, up to 2018. So it went from 1.9 billion. Um, sorry, I think I'm. You have the right revenue. Yeah, 1.9 billion to uh, 4.6 billion at the end of uh, 2018, and then their net income. If we look at per share, the data I have here, um, it it's kind of been up and down, and it's hard to 
value this company by uh, earnings per share because they're really a kind of a cash flow generating machine. Um, and I know they used uh, they use um, I don't know if you're familiar with it, Braden. They use a metric, and I'm kind of losing it right now. FFO. Yeah, funds for operation. That's it. I was like, I was looking for it. I couldn't remember what the the term is. Yeah. So it's basically uh, funds that are or cash available for distribution as well. So they'll use these different metrics. But all that to say, they do uh, generate a lot of cash flow. One of the big things to keep an eye on, although I do trust management for uh, Brookfield Infrastructure Partners, is they do have a lot of debt. So. When you look at their assets, um, they have uh, 36.5 billion in assets, but they also have 31 billion in liabilities. So they are quite levered, uh, but again, you have to kind of factor in the business where they have really predictable cash flow. Um, for a business that would not have predictable cash flow, I'd be a bit more concerned about the debt level, but for them, uh, I think they get a bit of a pass for that. Um, for the cash flow itself, again, they're, uh, um, when you're looking at them, so they do have a lot of free cash flow. Um, their dividend is not quite covered, uh, but I know when they use their different metrics, uh, it does cover the dividend. And because they're um, they're looking at recycling capital, so they're selling asset and buying new ones. I know that does fluctuate as well, but they're very well managed, um, and it's definitely a company that I'll keep for the long run. Yeah, I, I love this company personally. All the Brookfield names are really solid. They are absolute cash flow generating machines, as you mentioned. These companies that are .uns, they are different. You have to look at them differently in terms of what you said, funds from operations or adjusted funds from operations. So you look at them like a REIT um, yeah. and, and not conventionally like when you look at uh, income statements. So. I mean, this is an absolute cash flow generating machine, and I think owning Brookfield Infrastructure Partners or Brookfield Asset Management, which is their parent company, under different tickers, these are companies you want to own in low interest rate environments, which we are in right now. And yesterday, the Bank of Canada held interest rates, so that is what most people, what most econo uh, economic indicators point to is low interest rates for a while now. So um, I'm not going <laughs> to sit here and tell you where interest rates are going, but I definitely think this is a good name to own in a low interest rate environment. My question for you is why own BIP versus just owning Brookfield Asset Management? Uh, I just own Brookfield Asset Management. It has a piece of all four of their big um, uh, verticals. And I'm just wondering why you see an advantage of holding BIP, the infrastructure partners one versus just holding BAM. Yeah, I mean, it really depends what you want to focus on. So uh, BIP uh, or BEP, Brookfield um, Renewable Partners, um, I mean, it's really, de it depends what you're looking for. So you're going to get a bit more exposure specifically to those type of uh, businesses or so a bit more exposure to infrastructure and Brookfield uh, Renewable Partners, you'll get more exposure to renewable um, energy. So those are kind of a bit more focused. It's just to me a personal preference. I think they all done quite well in the past. Um, one thing I love about uh, all the Brookfield family is they're very straightforward in 
terms of their uh, distributions or dividend to um, shareholders. So they do have a plan. They're very straightforward and they have a good uh, history of following them as well. So they want, if I remember correctly, I think they want to increase uh, the dividend from 5 to 8% depending on uh, um, uh, cash flow available for distribution per year. So they do have targets. So for a dividend growth story, um, it's something to, to look at from that perspective. And of course, uh, BIP and BEP uh, have a bigger dividend than um, than Brookfield Asset Management. So that's also something to consider. Uh, then again, you may get more capital gains with uh, Brookfield Asset Management. So it really depends what you're looking for, I would say. Yeah, yeah they are different. Um, this For so long, uh, Brookfield Asset Management sat on my list of exactly what we're talking about as expensive companies that are really high quality that generate obscene amounts of cash flow. So um, I added it to my portfolio finally. Um, and my subscribers at Stratosphere Investing get to see all that stuff. But the reason for that is it keeps it keeps going higher and higher. Um, and pension funds cannot get enough of Brookfield. Like it, it's just outrageous. The amount of confidence that everyone has in it. And they have 340 billion in alternative assets um, and I believe over 150 billion in fair uh, fee-bearing capital <laughs> it's hard to say so I mean this is just a mammoth of a company they operate all over the world uh, and it is a great place to park money if you want exposure to alternative investments and you can buy them right on the stock market so it's perfect yeah, exactly. And those are really great companies too. Uh, last year was, I think, like uh, summer of 2018 up until the end of 2018, early 2019. For whatever reason, people were like, especially summer, were really excited about growth companies and down on dividend stocks. So these were really attractively valued and that's when I got most of my position and so it's been a really good company and you know what there's a correction I really don't care they pay a juicy dividend I can just sit back enjoy the ride and possibly buy more shares yeah that's true BIP does pay a, a nice yield compared to the uh, BAM all right um, anything else to add to this one I, I think it's a, yeah, it's a great pick yeah, no, no, I think that's it. I mean, obviously, it's an overview, and we can only say so much in a few minutes. Uh, so definitely, if people are interested in those companies, just uh, keep researching them. Uh, those are just some of the metrics we look at. But uh, like I, like we mentioned, you know, we go more in depth. I know I personally like to listen to conference calls and so on. So uh, just make sure you do your due diligence before you start positioning them. Yeah, exactly. The point of this podcast is to understand the kinds of things that we are looking for in our quick analysis. And then, then comes the fun of reading annual reports, like you said, listening to calls. I probably don't do enough of that, but um, I definitely scour the uh, MDNA from management uh, before I enter any position and look for a long history of, of demonstrating the you know, working for shareholders' best interest. And I think all the companies we're talking about today are definitely fitting that category. Yeah, yeah, that's it. So, uh, yeah, I think uh, that's wrap it up. Uh, that's wrapping it up for our show today. Uh, anything else to add, Braden? No, that's great. Um, as always, feel free to go on getstockmarket.com, which is available in the show notes of this episode, and you can sign up to get a list every month of the top Canadian dividend stocks that come out uh, using some of our basic screens. And like I said, this is an entry point to looking and doing your research. And I think this is a good, great place to start. 
The Canadian investor is not to be taken as investment advice. Braden or Simon may own securities mentioned on this podcast. Always make sure to do your own research and due diligence before making investment decisions. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Canadian Investor. To get a list of the top Canadian dividend stocks right now and other valuable investing resources, go to GetStockMarket.com.